Hi there! Welcome to Growpoint Timbagete Podcast. How are you today? We're so glad you could come and listen with us as we learn about Jesus' life here on earth. A few weeks ago, we learned about Jesus' teachings on how to be rooted and grounded in Him. The more you stay rooted, the more you are aware of Him. The intimacy with Him as you stay grounded is one of the grace-filled benefits that is worth being joyful for. Next on our series is called Empowered Witness. The more you are rooted and grounded, the more the inner person in you changes. And these changes in you can cause other people to want to know more about Jesus. Not only are we witnesses to His amazing grace, we are also empowered by Him. How? Why? All these we can learn during the next podcast. It's a good thing to note, beloved, that the Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles more than 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that lives inside of you today. Be a powerful witness to our powerful God. Now today, the title of my message is The Coming of the Holy Spirit. And our text, of course, is coming from Acts chapter 2. We will look at verses 1 down to verse 41. As we look at chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we need to realize that this is the turning point of the history of God's kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples waited for the coming of the Spirit. But here in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples were prepared and they were equipped. In Acts chapter 2, they are all empowered. In Acts chapter 1, they were to stay in. But in Acts chapter 2, they were sent out. In Acts chapter 1, they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. But in Acts chapter 2, they saw the Spirit descend from heaven. And the coming of the Spirit gave birth to the church, the New Testament church, whom God has called and commanded to make disciples of all nations. And as we look at the early church, here in the book of Acts, we can learn from our spiritual ancestors that they live powerfully and fruitfully for God. In fact, they won many thousands of people unto Christ, and they established many New Testament churches. And yet, here's what's amazing. They did not have big, beautiful buildings. They didn't have political influence or social status. All they had, listen to this, was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who energized them and their ministry. They put their trust completely on God for life and ministry. They depended and trusted upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. And really that made all the difference. And that same Holy Spirit, here's the good news. That same Holy Spirit who empowered the church, who enabled the believers as we can read here in the book of Acts. That same Spirit of God that moved and worked in and through them is living in us. And the power they had access to is also available to each and every single New Testament believer to make us more effective witnesses for Christ. So as we look at the coming of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2, here's the simple truth I want us to take home. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit came to reach the world with the gospel through the church. In other words, when He came, when the, when the Holy Spirit was finally given as the promise of the Father, as Jesus told His disciples, He came 
so that he can use the church to reach the world so that the world can hear the gospel and be saved. And that's what we can see in Acts chapter 2. By the way, this is just the beginning of the work of the Spirit through the church. And so today we will look at what took place when the Spirit of God came upon the church. And there are several supernatural and miraculous things that happened that day when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And let's learn about them as we consider just Two things, the evidence of the coming of the Spirit and the effects of the coming of the Spirit. Number one, let's look at the evidence of the coming of the Spirit found for us in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 down to verse 4. You see, the Holy Spirit did not come. I should say, the Holy Spirit did come. He did come as the promise of the Father told by the Lord Jesus Christ to His disciples. And here in Acts chapter 2, the promises of Jesus Christ concerning the Spirit were coming true. So as He departed from their presence, the Spirit of God descended upon the disciples. And the coming of the Spirit was proven by supernatural evidence. I want to call it letter A, a surprise. The coming of the Spirit was a surprise. Here in verse 1, down to verse 2, and the, just the... Pray a little phrase in verse 2. Let's read it. When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And then the first two words of verse 2 is this. And suddenly. And suddenly. You see, the coming of the Spirit of God happened when the believers were all together in one place, which is the upper room as mentioned in uh, verse 13 of chapter 1. Many scholars have pointed out that on the day of Pentecost, that's the coming of the Spirit, you will understand why it's called Pentecost as I will discuss it shortly after this. On the day of Pentecost, God's sovereign timetable called for the Spirit of God to descend upon the disciples. You see, Luke, the writer of Acts, in his account points okay, to the sovereign timing of God as the reason for the descent of the Spirit. Not because the disciples were praying. It's not because the disciples were obedient. It's not because the disciples were waiting. In other words, the Spirit of God came upon them. Not because they were waiting and the Spirit of God doesn't want them to feel bad for waiting for too long. No. The Spirit of God came because it was part of God's plan. It was part of God's timetable. You see, the word Pentecost, interestingly, means 50th. That's the meaning of the word Pentecost. And in the New Testament, okay, this is the name for the Feast of the Weeks. If you want to know about the Feast of the Weeks, you read Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 22 down to verse 23. Or this is also called the Feast of the Harvest, okay, in Exodus chapter 23, which was, by the way, celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Now, there's one scholar, and his name is Warren Worsby, and he pointed out that Leviticus 23, I'm going to quote him from his book, Leviticus 23 is an outline of the work of Jesus Christ. The Passover pictures his death as the Lamb of God, as stated for us in John chapter 1, verse 29, and 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and the Feast of the First Fruits pictures his resurrection from the dead, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Fifty days after the Feast of the First Fruits is the Feast of the Pentecost, which pictures the formation of the church, the body of Christ. At Pentecost, okay, very interesting. At Pentecost, the Jews celebrated the giving of the law. 
They celebrate because on that day, okay, the law was given through Moses. But Christians today celebrate it because of the giving of the Holy Spirit of God to the church. Now, even that thought, okay, even the difference between the Jews and the Christians, the Jews celebrate the, the Pentecost as the giving of the law, you know, from God to them through Moses, but the Christians celebrate the Pentecost as the giving of the Spirit to the church. That just brings a great contrast in my mind, okay, as I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, okay? I just want to share this with you because it's quite interesting. Let me read 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. If you have your Bible, you could open it with me. Paul said, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And here's the, the phrase of interest. Here's the part of the verse that I want to point out. The verse says, for the letter referring to the law, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Do you realize that when the law or the Ten Commandments was given, if I remember correctly, the second time this time, it was given through Moses. The people disobeyed God. Remember, Moses was spending time with God in the mountain, and the people were there down at the foot of the mountain together with Aaron, and they, were, they got so impatient waiting for Moses, and so they said, why don't we make you know, a God for ourselves? And so they collected all the golden jewelries, and they came up with a golden calf. They disobeyed God. They committed adul I mean, spiritual adultery. They committed idolatry. The Ten Commandments was given through Moses. God knew that his people quickly, you know, committed sin against him. And so he sent Moses down, bringing the tablets with him, containing the, the laws and the commandments that were written by God by his own fingers. And cut the story short, Moses got so angry with what he saw and on that day, the coming down of Moses with the commandments, the giving of the letter, the giving of the law. Do you, know, do you know what happened on that day? On that day, according to Exodus chapter 32, 3,000 men lost their lives. 3,000 men died. The letter or the law kills for it condemns men of their sins. But interestingly here in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit was given, 3,000 souls got saved and were added into the church. 3,000 souls received eternal life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Continuing on, Okay, let me go back to what Warren Worsby said. He said that, you know, Christians assemble and worship on Sunday, the very first day of the week, because on that day our Lord arose from the dead, and it was also the day on which the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And he, want, he wants to propose that that's the reason why we come here. We come here to worship God. We come here to praise God. Because on this day, on, on the very first day of the week, Jesus Christ was, you know, risen from the dead. And because of his resurrection, we have freedom. We have salvation from the penalty and the power of sins. And on that day as well, okay, not on the same day, but on, a, you know, on another Sunday, on another first day of the week, the Holy Spirit was given to the church, empowering the church to be a faithful and fruitful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I call it a surprise because even though the disciples knew that the Spirit was coming, they did not know the exact day and time that it will come. They knew it was imminent, but they did not know the exact time and exact day. And here in verse 2, the Bible says, and suddenly, okay, and suddenly. So they did not, you know, really know the exact appointed time and hour of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In a very similar way, this is true for the coming or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the signs of His second coming. We know His coming is imminent, but we do not know the exact day and the exact hour, the exact time of His coming. Yes, we know and we expect His second coming, but He will come unexpectedly. In the hour that you think not, He will come like a thief in the night. So the key is to be ready. And that was the key for them. Jesus in chapter 1 was preparing them. Be ready and wait for the coming of the Spirit. And in chapter 2, we, we see the surprise. Okay? The, the other reason I call it a surprise is because when the Spirit was given, the believers were made into one body. In, the, in this new body called the church, okay, there is unity. This is so beautiful. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, down to verse 28. The Bible says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's no distinction. Okay? Nobody's better than, than anybody. There's no, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Beautiful. Beautiful. And if we're going to be the New Testament church that God has described in His Word, we should have that you know, view of other Christians. There's, you know, we're all equal. We're all equally important, equally valuable, equally precious in the sight of God. And really, in the eyes of God, we're all the same. We're all sinners. Nobody's better than, than anybody here. And it's all by God's grace we're here. It's all because God is good. It's all because of God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we become part of the church. As You know, that is the work of God. So we cannot be proud and, you know, take credit for becoming a Christian. It's all the work of God. The church was born that day. Believing Jews and Gentiles now become part of one same body of Christ with equal standing before God as both are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And both Jews and Gentiles were indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. That's a surprise for many Jews, of course. They did not know that this was going to happen. In fact, there's no, new, uh, there's no Old Testament prophecy that talks about the church age. This was the mystery that Paul has been referring to in some of his letters. So the coming of the Spirit was evidenced by you know, miraculous signs. And I want to call it, first of all, the surprise. The surprise. Secondly, Okay, as we talked about the evidence of the coming of the Spirit, let's consider the sound as recorded for our, or described for us here in Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
the Holy Spirit manifested His presence in their ears as well. By describing that the sound or the noise was coming from heaven, Luke emphasized that this was not a normal thunderstorm, but a supernatural action of God. It was not something that they normally hear every now and then. It was, yes, it was noise. It was thundering coming from heaven, but it was something supernatural. In another translation, the sound is described as like that of a violent rushing wind. And the word like, quote unquote, hints that the mighty acts of God are so utterly beyond human grasp that the Bible writers had to employ similes just for us to get an understanding of what he's trying, what he's trying to communicate. Interestingly, if you read Acts chapter 2, okay, and verse 2, only those believers who gathered in that upper room, okay, experienced the promise of the Father at that moment as it filled all the house where they were sitting. As it filled the entire place where they were gathered together, sitting down. Now at this point, I want to point out that there is a clear distinction between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Now this, there's been a, you know, a huge debate about this. This is still an ongoing debate in some places of the world, in some you know, congregations, in some you know, between other groups. But let's have a clear distinction for clarity's sake. Okay? Let's look at these terminologies as the Bible presents them for us. Because there is a baptism of the Spirit, and there is a filling of the Spirit. And even the Apostle Paul clearly defines the baptism of the Spirit as an act of God through the Spirit by which He places those believers, those Christians in Jesus Christ, into the body of Christ called the church. That's the baptism of the Spirit. It's God's work okay, that took place first during Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2. And it's God, you know, making the believers members of the same body of Christ. I hope you catch that. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can read passages like Romans chapter 6. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Galatians chapter 3, verse 37. Okay? And I have read part of that earlier. According to Warren Worsby, the baptism of the Spirit is the act of God by which He identified the believers with the exalted head of the church, Jesus Christ, and formed the spiritual body of Christ here on earth. Now that is a very helpful description or definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, during Pentecost, okay, when the Spirit of God came, one of the things that took place is that God baptized the believers into the body of Christ. In other words, every single believer that received the Holy Spirit to indwell them permanently this time, which is the major difference between the New Testament indwelling of the Spirit and the Old Testament indwelling of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells the believers or the servants of God temporarily okay, for the purpose of enabling them to accomplish their God-given mission and their God-given task. But here in the New Testament, every single believer receives the Holy Spirit 
is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2 was the first time that that happened. And so in Acts chapter 2, every single believer became a member of the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Spirit we're talking about there. Okay? It took place at Pentecost. Today, baptism of the Spirit only happens to the new believer at the point of salvation because baptism of the Spirit only happens once. It's a one-time experience for all Christian believers. So it first happened in Pentecost because that was the first time that the Spirit of God was given to indwell the believers. Okay? And it, never, it will never happen again. It never happened again to them. Okay, that first received the Holy Spirit. But today, okay, the baptism of the Spirit happens when a sinner repents and trusts in Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's the point of his salvation. And at that point, the Spirit of God will indwell that new believer, and that new believer will be baptized to become a, baptized by the Spirit to become a member of the body of Christ. So at Pentecost, the Jewish believers and the disciples, 120 of them, experienced both the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. But the only Spirit, as I've said, they only experienced the baptism of the Spirit once on that day and will not experience it again since it is, it has to do with being part of the body of Christ. Now, let's talk about the second one. That's the baptism of the Spirit. The second one is the filling of the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit has to do with power for service and power to witness for Christ. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible are Christians commanded or exhorted okay, to pray to be baptized by the Spirit. That's the work of God. And, and He does that for all of us at the point of our salvation. But in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we are commanded to be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, for example. Okay? We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit because we need the Spirit's power to enable us to serve God faithfully and to enable us to witness for Christ effectively. To win the lost, okay? we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me say it again one more time. At Pentecost, the believers were baptized by the Spirit, and they were also filled by the Spirit. But after that, they experienced many fillings of the Spirit, but no more baptisms of the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit should be a continuing experience of the Christians. Let me give, give some illustrations just for you to you know, grasp this. Remember Peter here in Acts chapter 2, of course, he was baptized by the Spirit and he was also filled by the Spirit. But when he was filled by the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he was then filled again as recorded for us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. The others who were with him were also filled and were baptized by the Spirit, okay? But they were filled again in Acts chapter 4 verse 31. Stephen, if you remember, Stephen was martyred, you know, and he was killed and murdered before Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Stephen was described in Acts chapter 6 as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Yet again, okay, in Acts chapter 7 verse 55, we are told that he was filled by the Spirit. My point is this. One baptism of the Spirit, but many fillings of the Holy Spirit. Paul 
our last example, was filled by the Spirit of God in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And again, it's recorded for us. It was filled by the Spirit of God in Acts 13, verse 9. Because to be filled by the Spirit means, okay? It means to be surrendered and be submissive to the leadership and the lordship of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It is it's about living under His authority, living under His control, under His leadership, under His direction. At the same time, it's also living under the authority of the Word of God, being saturated by the Word of God. When you consider Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, down to verse 21, and then Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 to 25, you can see there, and you can compare these two passages, that to be filled with the Spirit and be saturated with the Word comes out with the same results, okay? The same results. When, when someone is filled with the Spirit, and when someone is in reach, okay, and saturated by the Word of Christ in him, the results are the same. And this is to be the normal Christian life. There is joyful worship, there's thanksgiving, there's adoration of God, there's humble submission to one another, there is harmony in the family, there's holiness in the workplace, there's victory over the enemy through prayer and preaching of the gospel. And as a Christian, you have experienced the baptism of the Spirit on the day you turn away from your sins. We call that repentance. And on the day you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay? For your redemption. Now, because you are now saved, you are now a believer, you are now part of the body of Christ. You are commanded by God to be continually being filled, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, so He can enable you and He can empower you to live victoriously and fruitfully and serve God effectively. Warren Worsby said this, and I quote, The baptism is universal and it involves every Christian believer while the fullness is individual. Okay. And of course, that involves those who will surrender to Him. That's a sound. They heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind, a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house. It filled the believers. That moment, they, they were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. The church was born. At the same time, they were filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 3, we can read, and here we'll, we'll consider the sight, okay? So we've, heard, we've looked at the surprise and the sound, and now let's talk about the sight. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. They saw it and rested on each one of them. The Holy Spirit manifested His presence not only okay, through their ears, but also to their eyes. They saw something. Now, there's not much information available for us to help us with our imagination and help us have a good idea about what they saw, except that it appeared to them as a fire, like a fire. With the use of the phrase asav, we know that these are not literal flames of fire. But what is certain is this. What is sure is this. There was a visual manifestation which showed to them, which is very important at that moment, the importance of the visual manifestation is this. They saw that all of them receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, there was nobody who was better than anybody else. They were all equal. They all believed in Christ. Okay? And the Spirit of God 
when he came, came upon them all, on each one of them. Because that's what the Bible says. It rested on each one of them. It shows that all who were present received the Spirit in that moment. And I, I believe that this helped the disciples with their competitive spirit. Remember, they were trying to, you know, um, they were trying to prove to one another who is better than, than who. But here, every single one of them had equal privilege of receiving the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur said, it was a uniform, sovereign work of God and all collectively, not something sought individually. In the same way, all of us as believers, all of us, okay, we have received the indwelling Holy Spirit. On the day of your salvation, as I've said earlier, you were baptized into the body of Christ and you were indwelt by the Spirit of God permanently at the point of your salvation. And the enabling power of the Spirit of God is available to all Christians, including you. There is power available for you to strengthen you, to enable you, to empower you to live victoriously, fruitfully, so that you can serve God joyfully, you can serve God effectively, and you can win souls for the glory of God. We may have different personalities. We may have different resources. We may have different, you know, skills and talents. But we have the same promise of the Father. We have the same indwelling Holy Spirit that makes us equal members of the body of Christ. Makes us equally important witnesses for Christ to reach this world. Yes, God has positioned us in different places to reach different groups of people. But we have. The same Father, we have the same Spirit, we have the same mission, we have the same message. And we're going to the same place for all eternity. That's the sight. That's, that's the importance of that verse in verse 3. Down to verse 4, the speech. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This time the Spirit of God spoke through the disciples and manifested His presence, not only through their ears and eyes, but even through their mouths. The word tongues, quote-unquote, is from the word diacletus, which is a word for language or dialect of a country or district. And looking at the context, clearly the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, using known, and they began to speak, using known languages. And I believe God in His sovereignty allowed Luke to list down at least 15 different geographical locations and clearly said that people from these locations were there present at the moment when the Holy Spirit came and when they heard the noise, they heard some singing and praising of the disciples, but they were wondering what was that sound and it, it attracted them. They went over and they realized these Galileans are praising God using our languages. They're proclaiming the wonderful works of God using our own language. Amazing. God's wonderful works was being proclaimed by the disciples using the languages of the people from various places. If you read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, down to verse 11, this is what the Bible says. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, okay, 
They're living in Jerusalem. They were there in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation. In other words, from, from various places under heaven. And at this sound, when they heard the sound, okay, from the disciples in that upper room, praising the Lord as they were, you know, they were baptized and they were filled by the Holy Spirit. When they heard the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were confused because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonishing. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? By the way, when you, during their day, when they call someone a Galilean, what they mean is, this is an uneducated person. Okay. Are, are they not Galileans? They're not scholars. They're not linguistics. They didn't study various languages. Why are they speaking in our own language? So, in verse 8, they say, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. In other words, I want to point out something here because this is something controversial. What happened here is this. It was not just some erratic, you know, out of nowhere, they were mumbling words that no one else understood. People who heard the disciples, when they were baptized and when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they knew, they recognized, and they understood the languages they were using. In fact, they recognized them as their own language, native language, their own dialect. So obviously, this got their attention, which led to, you know, them asking serious questions. What is happening here? Explain to us what is happening here. Okay. And the Spirit came to work through God's people in reaching the world with a good news of salvation. God used that, of course, to communicate the gospel. Here's one thing we can learn. God wants every person to hear the message of the gospel in a language they can understand. That's why God allowed this to happen. Yes, this is a miracle. Yes, this is something supernatural. Of course, it's the work of God. God is God. Is God. And every work that God does is supernatural. It's not natural. It's extraordinary. This was miraculous. This was mind-blowing event that no one from the crowd could even explain. It was amazing. It was astonishing. At the same time, it was confusing for them. The Holy Spirit has come. The evidence are clear. It was not man-made. It was heaven-sent. The Spirit has arrived. The Spirit has come upon the church. And when they were filled by the Spirit, they began to speak in various languages without even studying these languages, praising God, proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Let's be clear, they were not preaching the gospel yet, but they were praising the Lord for His wonderful works. Now, let's look at the evidence or the effect 
rather, of the coming of the Spirit. Beginning in verse 12, down really to the very last verse, but we will not look at all the verses there is. We'll look at until verse 41, and then we'll consider Peter's sermon in our next message next week. First of all, the effect is that people were shocked. Verse 12 and 13, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they were all filled with new wine. They just could not explain what they were witnessing at the moment. So they accused the disciples of being drunk with wine. Of course, they were wrong because the disciples were not drunk with wine. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, down to verse 21, here's what we can read. God is commanding us, okay, through Paul in his letter to, the, to Ephesus and said this in chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but people thought they were drunk with wine. You know what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Paul went on to say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is exactly what happened to them. They were proclaiming the wonderful works of God using various languages that other people from other nations can understand. I hope, okay, looking at the big picture here, I hope that when people around us, see us, you know, when they look at the way we live, and when they hear the words that we say, I hope that they will be shocked in a positive way. I hope they will be shocked, not because of the inconsistency of your profession of faith in Christ and your practices, but I hope that they will be shocked looking at your consistency in living out what you claim to believe. I hope that they will see us as a, as a people of God who are filled with joyful adoration, with thanksgiving and gratefulness to our God. So people were shocked. Secondly, people, Peter stood up and spoke. Verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. I, wanna, I want us to focus our attention on some of these phrases. But Peter, that phrase tells us that while the crowd was confused, Peter understood, he knew what was happening. But Peter. The other phrase is standing with the 11. But Peter standing with the 11. That's an amazing picture of Peter with his fellow disciples. Remember, they once abandoned Jesus. Peter denied the Lord three times. Three times, and they abandoned the Lord for fear of persecution. But now, they have the courage, they have the, the boldness to stand together I, and identify themselves as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. What made a difference? Where did Peter get the strength and the courage to stand up and speak up for Christ? The answer is obvious. Peter is now a spirit-filled man. That is the life-changing effect of the coming of the Spirit in a Christian's life. Once we understand what it means to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will do and say things we would, we would probably be afraid of doing. 
afraid of saying apart from the grace of God. Remember that before Pentecost, Peter and the other disciples were so afraid to identify themselves as the followers of Jesus Christ, but not anymore. With the power and the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit, they stood up and Peter spoke and declared the truth. Like Peter, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us, so that He can enable us to stand and speak for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to Peter. Listen to the Spirit-filled Peter here in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Verse 21, he says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was no longer afraid. He was no longer ashamed. He preached to them that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, God, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Oh, talking about fearless preaching. Peter did that. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the boldness and the courage coming from the Holy Spirit. In fact, in verse 29, here's what he said. Brothers, I may say this to you with confidence. With confidence. Okay? No longer a coward, but confident in the Lord. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up. And of, of that, we are all witnesses. He was no longer afraid to identify as a witness of Christ. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then in verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. This coward who was afraid to be identified as a follower of Jesus now courageously stands and speaks for his risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a spirit-filled man. Are you afraid to testify? Are you afraid to proclaim the gospel? Are you afraid to reach out to others and talk to them about Jesus? What you need is not more knowledge of the scripture. Although that is helpful, what you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Like Peter, the Spirit of God will enable you to stand up and speak up for Christ. As a result of that, bold, courageous, fearless proclamation of the truth. People heard the truth. When they heard the truth from a spirit-filled man, the Spirit of God can freely work in the hearts of the listeners, and they were convicted of their sin. And the Bible says in verse 40, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Those who gladly heard and received the sermon of Peter when he said, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They repented. They trusted in Jesus as their Savior. This Jesus was crucified, was buried in a barred tomb, and arose again on the third day. On that same day, they were baptized, and they were added into the newly born church of Jesus Christ. 3,000 souls. The letter killeth, but the Spirit of God gives life. The Spirit of God can give life. On that same day, they were added into the church. In other words, they too experienced the baptism of the Spirit and became part of the body of Christ. And this is just the beginning of the wonderful work of the Spirit of God through the church. So in conclusion, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the believers experienced both the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. As a result, they began to praise God and proclaim His wonderful works using language and dialect okay, of the people from various places. That shocked the crowd, and in their astonishment and confusion, they asked about what was happening. Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit of God, courageously stood up with the eleven and spoke the truth. He then preached Jesus as God's anointed Savior. Peter boldly preached repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, we're not asking, okay? we're not asking for another Pentecost that happened in the past, okay? But what we're asking is a Pentecost-like moving and outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we, as a body of believers, will have a renewed awareness of God's presence in our lives. Let us seek and pray for a fresh moving and manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence in our midst as a church. Let's pray for that. Let's ask that once again, we as a body of believers okay, will surrender daily and we'll, we'll, we'll have it as our normal experience, being controlled, being empowered, being directed by the Holy Spirit, being used mightily by the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves to manifest His presence, it will be an unusual and yet an amazing experience for many of us. And learning from Acts chapter 1 and 2 so far, what we need is to have faith in the Lord and confidence in the promises of God. That's what they did. They acted upon the promises of God. They acted upon the word that Jesus gave to them. We know that the Holy Spirit has come. And He has indwelt all of us Christians. The need of the hour is not to have the person of the Spirit. The need of the hour is for us to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to the body of Christ. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. That's beautiful. And when we are filled and controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit, there will be power for service to God and witness for Christ. People will be drawn unto the Lord to hear the good news, and when they hear the good news proclaimed courageously and compassionately by a spirit-filled Christian, there will be conviction of sin, there will be conversion of soul, 
God's kingdom will be advanced. People will be saved. Lives will be changed. All for the glory of God. Remember this. The Holy Spirit came to reach the world with the gospel through the church. Through you and through me. Will you be God's vessel? Will you be God's instrument? Will you be God's hands and feet to reach others? Will you be God's mouthpiece to speak this life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If your answer is yes, then be a spirit-filled Christian. Stand for Jesus. Speak for Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives within you because He wants to empower you. He wants to enable you to be a servant of God and to be a witness for Christ so that the world will know that there is a God who loves them so, a God who sacrificed His Son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary. So that all of those who believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, will not perish and go to hell, but will have forgiveness of their sins, will receive eternal life, and will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, making that person justified before God, acceptable in His sight. I hope and pray that as a believer, you will desire that. And then you will make that decision. Lord, from this day onwards, I want you to take full control of me. Fill me, Holy Spirit, each moment of my life. Lead me. Use me. Work through me. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and God bless you all.